The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Support for this show comes from 1440 Multiversity, a state-of-the-art learning destination in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. 1440 Multiversity offers weekend and five-day programs in mindfulness, leadership, well-being, and more. Learn more at 1440.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Glennon Doyle Melton. She's the author of the number one New York Times bestselling memoir, Love Warrior, which was selected as an Oprah's book club pick. She's also author of the New York Times bestseller, Carry On Warrior. Glennon is also the founder of Momastery, an online community reaching millions of people each week. And she's the creator and president of Together Rising, a nonprofit organization that has raised $7 million for families around the world through its love flash mobs. We got to find out all about this stuff, which has revolutionized online giving. An interview with Glennon Doyle Melton appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Glennon, welcome to Essential Conversations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's it's our pleasure to have you. I, I do want to talk about the new book, Love Warrior, but I am so taken. I've been looking at the website and with, with Momastery and the Together Rising thing and the love flash mobs. <laughs> so before we go into the book, tell us about these things and, and how they work and how people can participate. Yeah, so Momastery um, is a blog. It started off as a blog, um, just a place where, you know, I was home with three kids um, and felt really overwhelmed and bored at the same time. <laughs> And um, just needed an outlet where I could um, be really honest. I was trying to stay sober, too. That was a trick. Um, and I remember being so grateful at at meetings, recovery meetings, about how honest I could be there and wondering, why can't we be honest like that with real people like out in the world? So I practiced um, in my writing voice, being really honest about how um, hard and beautiful um, you know, relationships, marriage and, um, parenthood and friendship and faith can be. And I named it Monastery just off of, um, a play on monastery because, you know, at the time parenting was my main spiritual discipline really. Um, and also I'm just a really sensitive human being and I've always been obsessed with the idea of monasteries. Like these people can just kind of drop out of the world and, you know, create these smaller intentional communities, um, just where there's kind of a, a, they make their own rules, you know, based more on kindness and um, quiet and community than the real world. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have an outlet and also create a community on the internet that was, um, that had different rules than other places on the internet that was kinder. And that was um, a place where all different kinds of thinkers could tell the truth and hear each other's stories. So anyway, it turned into a huge 
a huge community. Um, I think what happens when women start filling each other up is they just start spilling out um, into the, their community. So that's how Together Rising started, um, just as a way to serve each other. And then the love flash mobs, you know, one day I just, I felt like so grateful for my community at Monastery. And I uh, wanted to do something like an action to kind of turn that gratitude into um, something real. And so I checked my email and there was an email there that was from a young woman um, who lived in the Midwest and was running a teen mom home. And she had had to turn away a 14 year old girl with a baby the day before because she didn't have funding to bring her in. And she was just telling me her story. So I thought, oh my God, that's it. I'm going to help this person. So I call her on the phone. I said, this is Glennon. How much do you need? Let's get that girl in. I want to help. And she said, we need $80,000. And I said, well, then we need a new plan. Okay. (laughs) So, um, I was thinking all that night and and I was just like, I know this is what I, I know this is meant to happen. Like this little girl is supposed to be in that house. How am I supposed to make it happen? And then I remembered, oh my God, like if I feel this way, of course my community online is going to feel this way. So I called this woman back. We stayed up all night writing this beautiful essay about this little girl, about this place that they had, this home. And I, and I launched the story the next day on the blog And I said, we're going to get this girl in this house with her baby by the end of the day. And so we're going to raise $80,000. But the trick is that nobody's allowed to give more than $25 Mm. because I so badly wanted for, you know, a single mom who, you know, 17 bucks is a big deal to feel equally um, important and and needed um, as someone for whom you know, 50 bucks is no big deal. So anyway, listen, by the end of that day, we had like $140,000. I mean, it was just completely crazy. The average donation was $16. Um, the news crews were at their house. They had, they, they got to go get the, um, little girl and her baby that night and bring her in. I got to go meet them. So anyway, this is how the love flash mob started. And now we do these every six months. The last one we did was for refugees. Um, and we, I think we raised about, I think it was $3 million in four days. So it just mm. keeps getting crazier and crazier. And it's just, it's just, um, a bunch of strangers who are good, you know, and people really, really want to do good. They just don't know how. Um, and I think the, the magic $25 thing was key because, you know, it, it gets you past that thing where you have to stop and think too much. Right. About how much you're going to give or whatever. It's just proof that, you know, a bunch of um, a, a bunch of small acts of kindness that banded together can make a, a real difference in the world. Yeah, that's how Bernie Sanders did his campaign. Are, yes! you, planning, are you planning to run for office? Oh, gosh. You've you got never the fundraising know. down. Oh, you okay. Maybe you're thinking about it, but I won't, I won't push you on that. Everybody should be thinking about it right now. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about running, but not for office. Just <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I'm stealing that. You can have it. You can have it. <laughs> so let's talk about Love Warrior. This is a follow-up to Carry On Warrior. And, and, you know, normally you don't think of love and warrior in this necessarily in the same breath. So what, what's the warrior idea and, and why is this speaking to you so powerfully? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that love and warrior need to, those two ideas need to be put together more often because, you know, I think that we in our culture have this idea of love that it's going to be like soft and fluffy and pink and feel good all the time. And 
I don't know about that. Like what I've found in my life is that real love is messy and hard and requires a lot of courage and is exhausting a lot. And, um, you know, real love is, is, you know, my, one of my best friends called me today and just held her, her father last night while he died. That's real love. And that's requires the courage of a warrior, um, Mm. to show up for the people like that in our lives. It's not easy. Um, and so anyway, I, th- I the, the idea of the love warrior came to me. I, I grew up a Christian. Uh, I still am, I guess. I don't know what the hell I am. I'm happy. But um, <laughs> I grew up Christian, Catholic-y. And um, I remember always being told that um, my role in a marriage was to be a helper. Right? That's what I was always told. That's what um, many Christian girls are taught, um, that the word in the Bible that God uses to describe Eve, when he creates her, is helper, that she's to help Adam, and so we're to help our husbands. And this concept just pissed me off to my core. Like, I just couldn't imagine that the helper of a man would be the word that God would use to name me, right? And so um, after Love Warrior is about my marriage and the implosion of my marriage when I found out that my husband had been unfaithful to me throughout our entire marriage— And I was at a church after that time and a woman came up to me and said, don't forget you're to be his helper during this time. And that just drove me. I mean, I I couldn't believe that, that a woman at my church would say that to me at that time. So I went home and I started doing my own research. And what I found out is that the word that was translated to me to mean helper is the word Ezer, right? And Ezer is used three different ways in the Bible. Um, One is to describe God. One is to describe um, mighty uh, military forces. Um, and the third is to describe women. And I thought, how in the hell do you get helper from that? Right? Like, <laughs> this is why we need women at the table every time a decision is being made, because we're not at the table, we're in the menu, right? So what really Ezer means is, um, I believe, based on those three translations or or way it's applied in the Bible is that it means warrior, right? Um, It means the kind of warrior that would kind of walk the earth and fight for the same things that God cares about. So beauty and love and justice and equality and peace. Um, And that, that identity I can buy. Right. I can buy I can't buy the idea of love as a codependent, like helping of someone else, no matter what their agenda is. That is not my name. (laughs) Well, so so let me let me jump in here and help you out a little bit more with this. So the phrase is Ezra is is true, uh, but the the next word is connecto. They go together and Ezra connecto. So Ezra is just what you said. Right. But connecto means in opposition to him. So it's it's not just that the warrior, using your take on it, is powerful. It's that the warrior's aid comes by opposing what it is that the other wants. So when you see your husband, your, your spouse, your partner, you know, whatever it is, your wife, when you see that person not living up to their potential, the Ezra thing to do is to call them on it. And to push back and to say, no, you're better than that. And it's the loyal opposition in a sense, but it's built, what's built into it is this innate conflict. It's not supposed to be 
this warm, fuzzy thing, according to the, the biblical text. It is this powerful struggle between the two of them uh, in order to, to raise it up. And, and then, just, just to make the point without taking over the whole interview, if you read the whole story in Genesis 2, about Genesis 3, about um, you know, them being exiled from the garden, the fact is uh, Eve is never exiled from the garden. Only Adam is. And the Are common, you serious? Yeah, if you, if you read, we always imagine it's the two of them, but the language in English or in Hebrew, the language is, is uh, masculine singular. Only the man is exiled from the garden. In the next chapter, Eve is outside the garden with the guy, but on her own volition, she was never exiled. And there's a whole theory as to why that is, but I don't want to take up your time with, with biblical commentary. We can talk about that some other time off air. But yeah, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really so much more powerful a story than um, religious institutions who are really, that, you know, that are really designed for men give it, give it credit for. She, yes. she is, I'll just leave you with this teaser. She is the Hebrew Prometheus. Prometheus mm-hmm. stole fire from the gods. She steals wisdom. And mm. she, because she can handle it, she's not exiled. Adam is totally unprepared for the gift that she offers him. And they kick him out. So I can tell you more about that later, but let's go back to you. <laughs> yes, I feel like I need another call with you. As soon as <laughs> well, humanly possible. Okay, we can, we can do offline. that a, a little later. Yeah, offline. In, in addition to... to any formal spiritual path you may identify with, and you said you're you're a Christian, you think maybe you're a Christian, and you were raised Christian, Catholic, Catholic. You said you had a cute way of saying it, Catholicly, but that wasn't it. It was something Catholic-ish. Uh-huh. Catholic-ish. Okay, you had, you had some word for it, but you're also very involved in yoga. Uh-huh. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So how did you... How does that, what role does that play? How did you find yoga? Well, I mean, that came um, as a result of the therapy that I entered into um, right after I got the news. I mean, I I think I figured out, I went into therapy understanding that my marriage might not be able to be saved, but just knowing, just from how I've been to rock bottom before, I know that the rock bottoms in our life are just full of opportunity and possibility for newness. Um, if we can kind of dig in instead of run away from it. So I was there to kind of just figure out how to use the pain that I was experiencing as, you know, power for whatever I was going to, was going to happen next. And what I figured out is, I mean, my therapist made me go all the way back to when I was 10 years old. And I think that what happened to me is that, you know, we're all born body, mind, and spirit whole. Um, but I think what happens to to me and to so many little girls is that I just got so many confusing messages about my body, um, from our culture, you know, good girls don't hunger, good girls don't desire, good girls don't grow. 
I just disassociated from my body. I became bulimic when I was 10 years old and the whole rest of my life was just a distancing myself from my physical self. So my therapist, um, and by the way, I think that happens to little boys too. They just have a different separation. You know, little boys are told that brave boys don't feel, don't cry, right. don't be vulnerable. So they kind of disassociate from their emotions, which I think accounts for a lot of the struggles in our marriages. But, um, basically my yoga instructor or my therapist just said, we need to have a reunion. We need to get you back into your body. Um, cause you're missing a third of your life, you know? And so yoga was a way of starting to understand that my body was an actual divine vessel of wisdom and, and love just as, as just as much as my, my mind and my spirit were. Um, but I didn't understand that until I started practicing yoga. Yeah, that's a powerful thing that yoga does. It integrates body, heart, mind, and spirit. Yeah. So no, that's that's very cool. H how much of what you write and what you do and, and the way you think, it, it, let, me, let me not even make it a question. Let me just make a statement and then you can react to it. It seems to me that your experience with 12-step gives you a clarity and an honesty that most of the time I only find in program when I'm sitting in, you know, in, a, in the room with, with a group of people in, in recovery. There's a tremendous, tremendous honesty there that I don't often see elsewhere. Do, is that your experience? Do you, do you think this, this is part of who you are and, and how influ and it influences how you present the ideas you present? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's one of my core beliefs, like the way that I stay sober, what, what I'm kind of hanging my hat on, um, which is that there's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. You know? And, and, you know, that I think is what the story we were just talking about all comes down to um, banishment from ourselves. I think it all has to do with shame. I don't think it's the pain that takes us out of the game. I think it's the shame about the pain that crushes us. And I learned that for the first time in those circles, you know, mm -hmm. in recovery meetings. And I just thought, well, what, if this is true in these basements, then it has to be true everywhere. You know, it can't just be true in these meetings. And listen, I've learned, I mean, I, I, if I, if I, if I can't write completely honestly with what I call the truthiest truth voice I have, like all the layers are gone and I'm stripped down and it is the most honest I can get. If I can't do that, then I won't do it. I won't write unless it's from my the deepest part of my soul because I feel like it's such an honor for people to take their time to read your words that what I the deal that I make is that I will be as honest as humanly possible. But I also don't do it all in real time. I mean, I think in this like age of vulnerability and truth telling, people are getting hurt because they think, okay, I was vulnerable. I put it all out there. Why didn't I get the reaction that that I wanted? And that's because I think with stories, these personal, this personal, you got to take time on it. I mean, all this stuff in Love Warrior happened to me five years ago, six years ago, maybe. And I wrote the book three years ago and I didn't release it until last year. So, so much time had gone by and I was able to write from kind of a healed over scab place instead of an open gaping wound, you know. Um, so now I'm on the road in a completely different phase of my life talking about that phase, that chapter, which is closed. Um, and so I, it's like, I'm intensely, incredibly vulnerable in my writing, but it's also about a time that has some distance, which makes it less vulnerable for me. Does that make sense? 
Makes sense. Also gives you a perspective so that exactly. when you, if you're, and I know you do live events. So if people are asking questions, if their life is where you were years ago, you can, in a sense, enter into their situation, enter into their narrative without being blown over by it. And then, you know, bring your, your wisdom to bear on that in, in a way that you probably couldn't if you were as, uh, if you were still shattered from that experience. Oh, absolutely. I would have been in pieces. So what's funnily enough is that I was on the road during that time, but I was on the road about a book that was the previous version of myself. So that that was carry on. Right. Right. So as long as I can stay four years ahead of myself, but that's the funny thing about the way the writing publishing cycle goes is that you really are on the road, always representing a version of yourself that was a long while ago. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm always working on the next book, but I'm talking about the last book. Right. So yeah, I've been doing that for a very long time. So we're getting near the end of the show and I'm going to do something I don't normally do, which is quote something you said in the written interview in Spirituality and Health Magazine, because I thought it was very apropos to this week Uh, because of the way, and I don't want to get political, but it's just taking an example of the way Sean Spicer uh, has been dealing so insultingly with April Ryan from CNN. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that that yep. exchange between the two of them, but it's all over the news. Mm-hmm. And you wrote, the most revolutionary thing a woman can do is to refuse to explain herself. So in the last 60 seconds that we've got, t- tell us what you mean by that, uh, that that's yeah, the I mean, most I'm- revolutionary thing. Yeah. So another basic tenet of my life is just to do the next right thing. Right. And that's an idea that starts in in meetings also. Um, But what I find so many women do is that we complicate it all because we don't think that we have the power to just do the next right thing. So what we do first is we take a consensus from all of our friends. Right. Do you think this is the next right thing? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Then we decide on something. we, We make our next move. And then we spend the next several weeks justifying that move to everyone on earth. So women waste so much of our energy gathering permission beforehand and then um, explaining ourselves afterwards. And it took me just until this last part of my life, I don't know if it's 40s or what, to figure out, oh my God, I don't have to ask permission or justify myself to anyone ever again. Those decisions are between me and God forevermore, amen. And so- I learned um, that was one of the most freeing things in the world when I just decided I can do just do the next right thing, one thing at a time for the rest of my life. And if I screw up, I can just try again. Perfect. Perfect. And I think that's what April Ryan was doing as well. She goes, look, I'm a reporter. This is what I do. I'll be back tomorrow to do it again. Yes. Regardless, because I think he wanted her to ask permission to ask a question. That's right. I, I mean, this is, your, your, your books are fascinating. Your writing is so compelling. And I'm very appreciative, appreciative that you, you know, spent the, the last 20 minutes with us. I am too. I am too. I'm so grateful for spirituality and health. They've been such a be- wonderful partners to us. And um, I'm grateful for you. And this has been a great 20 minutes. I'm going to go do some research on everything you just taught me. I'm so excited. It's amazing how my ministers forgot to teach me that part. <laughs> they always skip that part. Ah! Our guest today was Glennon Doyle Melton, author of Love Warrior. An interview with Glennon appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about her work at momastery.com. Glennon, thank you so much for spending time with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you. You guys have a great night. You too.
Support for this show comes from 1440 Multiversity, a state-of-the-art learning destination in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. 1440 Multiversity offers weekend and five-day programs in mindfulness, leadership, well-being, and more. Learn more at 1440.org. On a personal note, I will be at 1440 Multiversity on August 18th through the 20th, leading a workshop on my book, The Sacred Art of Loving Kindness. I hope you can join me. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.